Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Arsenal thrash Lons by six goals to nil to book their place in the knockout stages of the Champions League. It's the Chronicles of Aguna podcast and we're going to dissect it all right here. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you're still uh, reveling in what was a wonderful, wonderful performance from the Arsenal last night. Not just the victory that we all turned up hoping for, but an emphatic one as well. A 6-0 win for Mikel Arteta's side with six different goal scorers. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. Arsenal uh, have booked their place in the next round, in the knockout stages, in the round of 16 of this season's UEFA Champions League. And we've done it with a game to spare, which could be really, really significant given the fixture schedule and uh, and the way that that's looking, of course, over the next couple of months. Some big games to come in the Premier League. And although we have one more Champions League group game to go, that can be put on the back burner. That can be an afterthought. That's the position we've earned now. We've we've earned the right for that to be the case. And um, and I think it's needed. I think it's necessary. You know, we've got a few players out in key areas. We'll be hoping to get some of those players back, um, particularly by the end of sort of December uh, and moving into the new year. You know, we can focus on this period of time coming up now, as I say, without worrying too much about uh, what happens, uh, of course, in that last Champions League group game. Uh, big hello to uh, the British Bushman. We've got uh, Fanel Man. We've got Chad's with us. Evans with us. Uh, lots of American uh, listeners joining us at this time. I assume this time of day is better for you than when it's bright and early in the morning in England, because that means you're probably still asleep. But we've got a good chick with us. Sammy's with us. Uh, Omi says, finally, my first live chat. Uh, Harry, I love your show. Great to have you here, man. Uh, good to see you. Uh, and Adair says, uh, oi, oi, cheers, H and Chronicles family. What a display. What a match. And the Manchester United game was just the icing on the cake. Oh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just, Great all round, isn't it? Great all round. Look, on this episode of the show, we're going to break down the performance that we saw from Arsenal last night. Uh, we might touch on Manchester United's performance as well and, and the result there and what that means for them. Uh, and we're also going to talk about some breaking news that dropped around about two hours ago now, uh, which is with regards to the Premier League's case against Manchester City. I feel like we have to discuss that. Uh, so we'll do a bit of that too on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Before we dive headfirst into it, though, if you're listening to us on audio, Leave us a review. You can wait till the end of the show if you want. Uh, but if you're a regular and you haven't done it yet, you know what the shows are all about. So please do leave us a review on whichever platform it is that you're listening in from. If you're watching us on YouTube, we could do with a like. We could do with a subscribe if you're not subscribed already. And get involved in the comments as well. That really, really uh, does help too. I love to see you guys engaged and, and chipping in with the conversation. You wouldn't believe how many times I'm sort of prompted to go on tangents that end up being a core part of this content 
because of something that you guys may or may not have said in the comments. It's it's really helpful when you're doing a solo podcast to have that engagement. And I love it. It's what I think is really, really special about this podcast. So feel free to get engaged um, in the chat, but not get engaged like you do, like if you're not wanting to propose, like you don't need to. I don't mean that type of engage. Engage in the comments. That's what I wanted to say. Okay, uh, we're going to do it. We're going to dive into that performance and we're going to run through it chronologically. Let's start there. So, of course, a very, very comfortable win for Arsenal uh, in the end. And um, we went into the game, obviously, with a keen eye on what was happening in the game between Sevilla and PSV Eindhoven. Now, there was an opportunity for us to qualify before we'd even played. There was an opportunity for us, uh, of course, to um, you know even potentially wrap up top spot without even playing because PSV, uh, at one point, were two goals down in Seville. But somehow... They managed to turn that game on its head and they ended up winning uh, with a 92nd minute goal from Pepe. So they came from two goals down PSV, turned the game completely on its head. And that changed things for us going into our game. Now, I don't think that the players would have paid too much attention to that. I don't think the players would have been influenced or, or even concerned really by what was going on at the Ramon sanchez Pithuan. Arsenal knew what they had to do. Arsenal knew uh, what their remit was. And I don't think you can afford, actually, to get into that headspace where you're looking at other people's results, unless you're in a desperate situation like United are, like Newcastle are, where you're relying on those results. We weren't relying on anything. We had it all in our own hands. Um, and uh, and that's obviously the right that you earn when you play really, really well in the group up until that point. Lons are a side that I was wary of because of what happened in the return fixture. I think the atmosphere that night played a huge, huge part. And I knew that that wasn't going to be as much of a factor at Emirates Stadium, although credit to their supporters, apart from a couple of naughty things, uh, throwing flares into the club level section, for example, uh, you know, they were just enjoying the game. Well, I say enjoying, can you enjoy your team being on the end of a 6-0 drubbing? But they were involved in the game in terms of providing a wonderful atmosphere. Most of the atmosphere in the Emirates last night was coming from them. You, you have to say that. You have to be fair. But there was a part of me that was a little bit wary. But when I saw the team that Mikel picked, which was incredibly strong, you know, he went with Raya in goal, which we all thought was going to be the case. He brought the number one back in. He went with uh, Tommy Asu at right back. He continued uh, with Ben White, still not quite being 100% there, although he did get some minutes later on in the game to start building his fitness back up. He went with Zinchenko uh, at left fullback and he went with Gabriel and Saliba in the heart of the defence. The midfield was made up of Rice, Havertz, who I thought would start after his uh, brilliant contribution at Brentford at the weekend, and Odegaard. And then it was Saka, Martinelli and Jesus up front. Now, I'm 99% sure in saying this. That was the first time this season that that front five of Jesus leading the line, Saka and Martinelli flanking him, and Odegaard and Havertz in the same midfield played this season for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. Now, I'm not saying that's the only or that is the reason that we managed to score six goals. But, you know, you looked at the way that they clicked last night and you looked at what a difference it makes to have all those key components in the side at the same time. And and you can't help but be encouraged. You know, when people have talked about us not being as fluid, not being as forward thinking this season, I think there's an element of that. I do think that Arsenal have been a little bit more pragmatic and conservative in the way that they've approached certain games. 
But the fact that personnel have been missing and we've rarely had the opportunity to play all of those players together has obviously played its part too. And that, for me, was a, a reason or a, a root cause of maybe the problem that has been overlooked by so many for so long. We've talked about it on here. You know, the fact that we've had Jesus unavailable for a number of Premier League games that, you know, at times we've had Trossard playing, at times we've had Martinelli playing, um, at times we've been playing Martinelli or Saka when maybe they weren't 100% bit because we didn't have Jesus available and perhaps the boss felt that we couldn't afford to have even more drop-off. So it's... um. You know, it's it's certainly a key factor. It's certainly a key point when discussing why Arsenal's attack maybe hasn't, generally speaking this season, looked as potent as it did last time out. One of the points that I, I want to address before we sort of go into each of the goals and, and talk a lot about sort of individual performances and get some of your questions and all the rest of it is this idea that Arsenal can translate exactly what they saw or, or exactly what we saw, I beg your pardon, last night in the Champions League to their Premier League games. This idea that actually Arsenal are capable of playing free-flowing football and attacking football and, and ripping teams apart because we're seeing it in the Champions League. But then why why can't we do it in the Premier League? Like, there's got to be a reason, right? Like, there's... There's some issue here because Arsenal seem to be up for it in the Premier in the Champions League, I beg your pardon, but not in the Premier League. That's what some people have been suggesting. I've heard a few conversations about it. I know that Tom Canton asked Martin Odegaard the question of how do we translate what we're seeing in Europe into the Premier League? And the truth is, you know, Martin Odegaard said that's a good question, but the, the truth is, I don't think you can. I don't think that you can say that what you're seeing in the Champions League can be you know, completely mirrored in the Premier League for a number of reasons, mainly because in the Champions League, particularly in yesterday's circumstances, you're playing against a side that A, fancy themselves to be able to get at you and cause you problems, but B, need a result. Now, generally, for most teams in the Premier League, a draw against Arsenal would be a bloody good result. And as a result of that, as a consequence of that, we're, we're regularly faced with low blocks. Low blocks are very, very difficult to break down. I thought Mikel Arteta's analogy the other day about sort of being stuck in traffic and wanting to go 100 miles an hour, but there's nowhere to go, was spot on. I thought that was a really, really good, smart analogy because we've ran into cul-de-sacs time and time again uh, during Premier League games. We've been forced backwards. We've had to go sideways. We've had to bide our time. We've had to be impactful from set pieces. We've had to, you know, try and win penalties. We've had to force corners and, and hope that we can make the best of those situations because teams generally believe that a draw against Arsenal in the Premier League is a good result. When you come into the Champions League, you play against sides with A, very different philosophies and B, sides with something about them, sides that fancy themselves to be able to go out there, play you at your own game and beat you. Very difficult if you're a let's say, you know, a league side like Lonsard that go out and play a certain way week in, week out in the French League to then come into a Champions League game and flip into defence mode and park the bus. It's not easy to make those changes for sort of, you know, the odd European game that comes around. You want to play on the front foot because that's what you do every week. That's what you know. That's what your habits are. And so I just think that, you know, we played against PSV at home. We blew them away because they came out at us, you know. And I, I remember saying after that game, you know, that's what happens when Arsenal are not faced with a low block. They've got so much quality, pace, 
um, intensity, they can pick you off and they can cause you problems. The same when we played Seville, you know, who again needed some sort of result. And again, were far more open than, you know, Burnley were or um, then Fulham would be, you know, at the Emirates or then Wolves are probably going to be at the Emirates this weekend. So uh, this idea of, hold on a minute, we're doing it in the Champions League, so why isn't it working in the Premier League? I think you're kind of going down a path that you'll never find an end to because the truth is there's no, there's no solution. There's no way that you can make sure that you translate this 100% into the Premier League because it's not in your hands. It's in the hands of the opponent. It's all dependent on how the opponent plays. Now, if I were a Premier League side, looking at what Arsenal have done in their home games, in particular in the Champions League, that would be telling me, no, I'm not going to go and play in a in an open style and I'm not going to go and take the game to them. In fact, what I witnessed last night would discourage me from doing exactly that. So I don't think we're going to have a problem, um, you know, or, or, or I don't think any side... Are, let me rephrase that because I lost my trailer thought a little bit. The point I'm making is that if I'm a Premier League club and I'm watching what Arsenal are doing in the Champions League, ripping teams apart that are coming and bringing the game to us, I am in no way going to be encouraged to do that myself. In fact, it's going to discourage me and I'm probably going to go the opposite way because Arsenal relish it when you open up. Arsenal relish it when uh, when you come at them and when you leave spaces in behind. They've got good enough players in certain areas of the pitch to trust in your Salibas, your Gabriels, your Rices to win those individual duels. Therefore, they can place players further up the pitch and in more adventurous areas. And when that turnover of possession happens, Arsenal are well positioned to hurt you. That's what this Arsenal team are capable of. So is it as simple as going, well, do what we're doing in the Champions League and, and we'll be fine in the Premier League in terms of our attack looking a bit more sharp and, uh, and a little bit more potent? No, it isn't as simple as that. It's a different competition where you face different opposition, where the mentality is different. And if we want to compete on multiple fronts and be one of the very elite teams, we're going to have to find a solution for the issue that we're faced with week in, week out in the Premier League. That's how I see it. So I, I just wanted to touch on that point because I think that's been quite a, a good question, a valid question, but one that I think people have, you know, maybe spent a bit more, a, a bit too much time, in my opinion, trying to fucking find, like, get to the bottom of when actually, you know, it's, it's, it's not in our hands. It's not something that Arsenal do differently. If the space is there, they'll play in it and they'll hurt you and they'll rip you apart. If the space is not, then they can't and they've got to do something. Um, they've got to do something very, very different. So, um, yeah, interesting, really, really interest, interesting stuff. Let's start with um, with uh, sort of some of the key moments in the game. Uh, we'll discuss some of the individual performances in a bit as well. But I thought the key moment for me was obviously the opening goal, 13 minutes. And guess who it was? 60 million down the drain. Kai Havertz scores. They get, love it. Love it. Because... When you're a player that's clearly been suffering from a lack of confidence and that moment comes, that moment that you've been working for, training for, comes the way it did at Brentford, it's amazing what a difference that can make in terms of a player's mentality, confidence, and the way they will now commit uh, to trying to get on the end of balls that maybe they wouldn't have even tried to three weeks ago. The way they will try bits of skill, take shots on from distance that, again, maybe they wouldn't have done uh, three, four weeks ago. 
The difference in Kai Havertz yesterday, I think, was visible in terms of his body language, in terms of the way he carried himself, in terms of his confidence. Some of the things that he tried, as I said, were brilliant and he probably wouldn't have had the the confidence to do maybe two, three weeks ago. Um, But obviously, you know, we talk about players scoring in a 6-0 win and you kind of sit there and you go, well... You know, your team's just thrashed someone. Is it anything to really shout about or jump up and down about when you're one of six goal scorers? And generally, the answer is probably no. But what I would say is that it's far more significant if you're the one that broke the deadlock rather than the one that got the third or the fourth when the game was done and dusted. And I think that's why I think Kai Havertz deserves more praise than some of the other goal scorers yesterday because it was a situation that came from a move that Arsenal eventually built down the right-hand side. It was a cross into the box. You've got to give Jesus credit for this goal as well because the ball looked as though it was, you know, going into a a, a non-danger zone. It looked like Lons had done just about enough and, and Gabriel Jesus never gave up on the ball and managed to head it back across the goal. But then there was Kai Havertz who because he's in a good mood, because he's feeling good about himself, because he's confident, because he's got that taste for scoring, was willing to take that gamble, try and get in the box. And in the end, he gets something on the ball, which is just about enough to put it past Samba in the Lons goal. And you've broken the deadlock. Game completely changes. The hardest goal to get when you're facing a side that, you know, have have got a game plan and have been sort of sitting all week, figuring out and focusing on ways to stop you is the first one. And for Kai Havertz to get that, I think, was telling. And it was great to see him wheel away in celebration, the trademark celebration. And that set the tone for what was then uh, obviously a really, really wonderful night. It only took eight minutes before Gabriel Jesus added a second. Again, someone else deserves uh, a lot of the credit for this one. And that was Bukayo Saka, who went on this relentless run. And when the ball broke, uh, Gabriel Jesus was on hand to not just bring it under control, but then sell a dummy to the defender, chop it back onto the right foot and fire past the goalkeeper. Wonderful touch, wonderful finish. Not bad, eh, for someone whose uh, specialty is not uh, scoring goals. Two minutes later, Bukayo Saka added the third. Uh, He did well to follow up uh, the rebound of a Gabriel Martinelli shot that Samba could only beat away as far as Saka. I think it came off the top of his knee or something like that anyway. Uh, But it ended up in the back of the net and that's what matters. And then for me... um, What I thought was the pick of the bunch, at least on an individual level, uh, was Gabriel Martinelli's goal four minutes after that. So on 27 minutes, Arsenal were 4-0 up in this game. Uh, Martinelli, wonderful pass from Tommy Asu, um, picks it up on the left-hand side, cuts inside on the right foot, just bends it into the far corner. Superb finish. But in terms of team goals, then you had the Odegaard one right on the stroke of halftime. Wonderful work down the right-hand side. Clipped into the box by Tommy Asu. Odegaard runs onto it, volleys it beautifully into the bottom corner. If you watch it back, he couldn't have put it any more uh, tighter to the post without missing. It was a brilliant, brilliant finish from Martin Odegaard. And he needed a goal too, uh, you have to say, because he's not been at his best lately. He has struggled with problems um, in terms of the concussion that he dealt with and and maybe a bit of a lack of form prior to that as well. Um, But yeah, good to see him. Back on the squashy. I have to say, at half time, I was sitting there thinking, take them off, take them all off, take Rice off, take Jesus off, take Saka off, take Martinelli off, etc. etc. But Mikel Arteta didn't do that. He took Tommy Asu off and he took Zinchenko off and he replaced uh, those two guys with Ben White and Jakub Kivior. 
did eventually take Rice off, did eventually take uh, Jesus off as well, um, which was uh, good to see, you know, save them uh, a little bit for the game coming up at the weekend. Of course, the game was done. Um, and then Arsenal got the opportunity uh, right towards the end of the game. Um, in, in fact, it was uh, about four or five minutes from the end. Penalty kick um, given to us because of a handball, which I think was was clear, to be fair. Um, and up steps Jorginho. Now, Jorginho had recently missed a penalty for um, for Italy. So there was some concern as to whether he'd be able to convert this. Jorginho, I was thinking about this because I was doing the penalty live on the radio. And in my head, I was I wanted to say this is an opportunity for Jorginho to get his first Arsenal goal. But then for some reason, I hesitated and I didn't say it because I thought of that goal away at Aston Villa. Obviously, that was an own goal, right? And I, and when I thought about it for a few more seconds, um, I figured that out. I remembered that it came off the back of Martinez and went in the back of the net. So I didn't want to commit to that on the radio in case it was wrong until I had a, a few seconds to, to think it out. But brilliant penalty from Jorginho. You wrapped it up, 6-0. What more could you want? You know, that's, that's what it's all about. You turn up. It was a cold, old night. Um, and so for everybody to kind of go there and be entertained was was brilliant. In terms of a summary of the overall performance, I think we just, you know, I think we were we were really good on the transition. We were defensively really resilient and really good. Didn't have as much possession as you'd expect from an Arsenal side at home. But I think a lot of that was a consequence of the fact that we were in such a commanding position so early on in the game. Lons managed 52% of the possession. Um, Arsenal were just uh, the remaining 48%, which, as I say, is, is low by our stands when we're talking about uh, playing at home. But, you know, does that really matter? I think, you know, we we realised that Lons were going to come on to us. We realised that there was an opportunity to pick them off. Every time we did, in that first half anyway, we did it pretty much every single time to devastating effect. And, and when you do that, you kind of get yourself in a situation where you don't now need to force the issue. You know, you don't now need to keep chasing shadows. You don't need to be desperate to win the ball back. As long as you're in the right shape, as long as you're in the right positions, you'll be able to manage the danger that the opposition presents to you. And um, and in the second half, Arsenal clearly took their foot off the gas. And why wouldn't they? You know, why wouldn't they from that position? Not only was the group one, but Arsenal were qualified. And um, and attention starts to, even if, you know, the players and the manager would never admit this, it starts to turn towards, uh, of course, the game coming up at the weekend and some of the other big games that we've got coming up in the Premier League in the coming weeks. Some Arsenal fans online were a little bit upset at the fact that Ethan Waneri and Miles Lewis Skelly, who were both on the bench yesterday, didn't get the opportunity to come on, um, despite the fact that the game was won very, very early on. I mean, I don't really have a problem with that. Look, Mikel Arteta will probably like to, in an ideal world, give those guys that that opportunity, you know, to come on the pitch and be some of the youngest players to play in the competition for Arsenal and all the rest of it. But I also think that there will be there's a responsibility on his part to keep the fringe players that he's going to need over the coming weeks sharp. And that has to take precedent over the sentimental bit of giving someone 10 minutes in the Champions League just to say that they've done it at this stage in their career. Yeah, they'd learn from it, of course, and there is some benefit to that. But being in the matchday squad will be of benefit to them as well. And it will give them a taste 
uh, of what's to come, but keep them wanting to work hard uh, and try and, uh, of course, um, make it so that they are either in the starting 11 or the options that Mikel turns to uh, maybe later on in games. Either way, like, yeah, in an ideal world, you, you give them the time. But I don't think that's an issue uh, as it's being made out to be uh, by some. Look, the significance of winning the group is massive. You know, we've we've been in this position in the past where, you know, we probably should have won a group, didn't win the group, ended up finishing second, ended up getting a killer draw in the next round. And when you look at some of the UEFA Champions League groups uh, at the moment, and I'll just bring those up um, and run through them. You know, there's a lot of teams that, you know, we we avoid based on the fact that we finish top of the group. So we're definitely not going to play Bayern because they've won their group. Uh, we're definitely not going to play Real Madrid because they've won their group. Real Sociedad and into that still uh, up for debate who's going to win that group. Atletico Madrid and Lazio also undecided. Dortmund probably win their group, but they might not. Um, you know, PSG are in there as well. We can't face Manchester City who have won Group G, and we can't face Barcelona either, um, who look like they're on course to win Group H, unless that changes, but I'm pretty sure their head-to-head record uh, means that they've won the group there um, as well. So it's significant, you know, and and not only that, we've managed to do it with a game to spare, which means we can rest people, and there is literally no jeopardy now on that trip to PSV Eindhoven. You want to use Miles Lewis-Skelly and Ethan Waneri? That's the time to do it, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Amazing as well to see all of the front five um, get on the score sheet. Jesus, Saka, Martinelli, Havertz, Odegaard, all on the score sheet, which is really, really uh, positive. Um, and, and, and I guess that's kind of where my sort of real takeaways from this game end. Um, you know, Raya back in goal didn't really have to do much, but it's another clean sheet for Arsenal with David Raya in between the sticks. I thought Gabriel was... Uh, was brilliant at the back. I, I really enjoyed that moment where he celebrated making a tackle as if we'd scored a goal. Goes to show the value that he and the team and the defence in particular place on clean sheets. Um, so, yeah, look, loads and loads of positives, loads of things to be happy about. Um, it was bloody freezing at, at the Emirates. Um, if you were there, you know. Um, I packed an extra jacket in my bag uh, because I knew it was going to be really, really cold and I was still bloody freezing. Um, managed to get myself a hot drink at half time. And did I drink it? No, I just held it to keep my hands warm uh, for the remainder of the match. I mean, we could have done with a few more goals in the second half, but look, we won 6 0 in the Champions League, for God's sake. Like, what what is wrong with me? Why am I even asking for anything more than that? Uh, get some of your questions in the live chat. I'd love to take a few of your questions uh, before we wrap up. I did put an X post out. I'm getting used to calling Twitter X now, by the way. Um, I did put a post out yesterday asking for some questions and there's some really, really good ones. So I want to touch on a few of these as well from Twitter. Um, But if you are in the live chat, please uh, leave some. If you're watching this back later, leave some in the comments and we'll pick uh, some of those out on the next show that we do as well. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow to preview the game against Wolverhampton Wanderers on Saturday. Um, Big thanks as well to everybody that's been sharing the Chronicles of Aguna is one of their top listened to podcasts on the Spotify uh, wrapped up feature. It's, uh, keep sharing them. If if, if Chronicles of Aguna is on yours, then please share it, tag me in it, and I'll reshare them. It's so uh, humbling to see. And, and, and I love sharing with people um, what an amazing community that we've built, of course, uh, here with all of you guys. A uh, big thanks as well to those of you that sent me messages yesterday. I was um, 
presenting the TalkSport 2 show. I was stepping in. I normally do it on a Friday, but I was covering yesterday. But that also meant uh, that I was on duty to present um, the build-up to Galatasaray versus Manchester United. Now, for me, as someone who's still making his way uh, in radio, he's still finding his feet, to be able to present the build-up to a Champions League game on national radio was, wow, amazing. Um, I'm really, really grateful to the guys at TalkSport that trusted me to do it and um, and gave me the opportunity. And then to like be chatting with like Andy Townsend about Champions League, who I grew up watching on ITV, sort of leading Champions League coverage, and to chat to Jim Proudfoot, who as an aspiring commentator is you know, one of the best in the business and a real hero of mine was just amazing. Uh, it meant I had to run over to the Emirates at quick time speed. Um, and uh, thanks to my colleagues at BBC Radio London for bearing with me. Uh, but it was an awesome experience. And a few of you have messaged me um, about that. So uh, thank you so, so much for that. OK, let's take some of these questions from X uh, before we dive into the chat box uh, here. Neil Patel says, yes or no, can Arsenal win the Champions League this year? They can. Will they? Don't know. Cup competition, a lot can happen. Um, there's a lot of time now, uh, sorry, between now and February when it will matter again in this competition for Arsenal. And a lot can change. You can lose key players. You can be in bad form. You, you know, things can change. So it's a long time ahead for me to be able to say, yep, you know, it's definitely going to be fine and we sh we're definitely going to win it. At the end of the day, it's a cup and anything can happen. But you've got to feel confident. Um you got to feel confident that Arsenal are good enough to be in the mix come the latter stages. You know, we were in the Champions League for so many years at the back end of Arsene Wenger's tenure without me ever really feeling like Arsenal were in a place to genuinely challenge. And the only way I would get myself sort of excited for it and hyped up for it was, A, I get to watch us play against amazing teams, but B, it's a cup competition and anything can happen. But that works both ways, right? Um, but I genuinely feel like Arsenal are well-equipped to push for this. And this would mean everything to me. Now, I know people say the Champions League is great, but it is a cup, so the Premier League is a better barometer of where you are and it's harder to win and all the rest of it. I've seen Arsenal win the Premier League in my lifetime. I've seen us win it in 97, 98, uh, double. I've seen us win it in 2001, 2002, double again. I've seen us go this season unbeaten. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see Arsenal win the Premier League and it would be amazing. But for me, the one I'm missing is the Champions League. That's the one that for me would mean the world. Might be controversial, but I would take the Champions League over the Premier League this season for Arsenal. I really, really would. Um, some of you would disagree and that's fine. But to me, this is the, the, this is everything to be able to sing that we're European champions, to be able to, you know, take on some of Europe's elite and, and overcome them would just be, and, uh, I remember the Champions League final in 2006 and, uh, I've, I don't think I've ever gotten over that. So, um, yeah, I could do with, uh, putting that wrong, right. Um, or Arsenal putting that wrong, right. And, uh, yeah. And uh, going all the way. Uh, this was a great question. I loved this question from uh, Gary, who said, if we could add one invincible into the lineup, then who are you choosing and why? And he went on to say that Thierry Henry is banned from the options. So get involved in the chat box on this. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're watching this back later on or listening to it, let us know in the comments. Um, 
who your pick would be. The question is, if you could add one invincible to this current Arsenal side, excluding Thierry Henry, who would it be? Oh, man. Um, and one of the things I've been thinking about in this is formation. So, for example, one of the players that came to mind was Robert Pires. But is Robert Pires a left winger? Because to me, he was a left midfielder. And that's different. Is Freddie Lundberg someone that you'd consider putting in this team? Well, again, right midfielder. Now we play with wingers. Plus, Bukayo Saka's brilliant. Martinelli's brilliant. Why would you want to displace those? Or why would you see them as as players that, um, you know, you you would prioritise swapping for one of these invincibles. I thought about the centre-backs. Um, I love Gabriel. I love Saliba, so I didn't want to stick any of them in. Do I think Lauren was so good that I'd take Ben White out? Probably not. I loved Lauren, but it, again, it wouldn't be a priority. Um, then I came into the midfield and I started to think about it um, and started to think about a little bit further forward. Obviously, Thierry Henry's excluded. Dennis Burkamp as an old school second striker to me probably doesn't fit in this team again. Um, Patrick Vieira was the one I kind of looked at and went Patrick Vieira at the base of the midfield, Declan Rice and Martin Odegaard making up the rest of it. That would be pretty special, wouldn't it? But given that we've got Declan Rice and given that Thomas Partey is a brilliant player as well when he's available, I ended up landing on, and, and uh, you know, uh, Alistair's already got it in the chat, Ashley Cole. I think if there's one weakness in this Arsenal side at times, it's the lack of defensive ability that we have in the left-back position. Zinchenko brings loads else to the table, but he's a bit suspect defensively. And I think in the biggest games against the best of sides, when it's the finest of margins, I think teams focus on that. I think teams hurt us with that. I think it cost us a little bit at the end of last season. And so for that reason, just about it's going to be Ashley Cole for me at left back. Imagine a back line of Ben White at right back, Saliba, Gabriel and Ashley Cole. Wow. 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 Woohoo. Um, that's a tough one, though. That That's what I've landed on. Patrick Vieira is pretty much neck and neck with him, though. Um, but it's not about how highly I rate Cole in comparison to Vieira. It's about who I think would fit in this team and who would address what I believe to be a bit of a shortcoming for us at this moment in time. But what a question. Uh, Sephiroth says, uh, was, uh, sorry, has Kai turned it around? I've been really, really impressed with him today. I, I think it's it's premature to sit there and go, yep, he's turned the corner and he's now the best version of himself. And, you know, all the doubt around him needs to now be um, sort of destroyed and, and put in the cupboard and ignored. I think that there is going to be still a debate around Kai Havertz, his position and all the rest of it. And I think he's the type of player that does divide opinion, um, a bit like others have in the past. But you can certainly see a difference in the way he is carrying himself now. You can certainly see uh, a, a difference in the way uh, that he's playing the game. You can certainly see that he feels, um, you know, way more confident than he did two, three weeks ago. And, and you can understand what a difference, you know, having that bit of positivity and, and having plaudits, not because somebody handed you a penalty, can make. So why... 
why wouldn't I want to say um, that Kai Havertz has turned the corner? Obviously, look, I want to say it. I want to say that Kai Havertz has turned the corner. I want to say that Kai Havertz is in a better place now. But I'm going to reserve judgment on that for now because it's too early to say that. And that, that's the reality of it, right? That's the reality of the situation uh, with regards to Kai Havertz. I, I love the player. Um, I've said at times that I'm struggling with, you know, what it is that he's bringing to the team. I've also done a piece earlier in the season where we really analysed his role and the multitude of roles that he can play even within a single game. And I've always said that that's the idea behind it. I always said that the idea was having him in the left eight position so that he could add the bit that Xhaka couldn't add last season, which was in that final third. Yeah, Xhaka done a much better job of it than he'd done previously, but it, it was about taking that to the next level. And there was a moment yesterday, actually, where Arsenal uh, worked a ball over to the right-hand side. I think it might have been either a Saka or Tomiyasu cross. I can't quite remember. But whoever it was put the ball in the box and Kai Havertz arrived late at the far post, got above his man because he's got that physical stature to be able to do that. And he headed just wide. I think that was at nil-nil. And I thought to myself, man, like, Although it's taken a bit of time for, for it to show and a little bit of time for it to come to fruition, that is exactly that is exactly what Mikel Arteta signed him to do. That is exactly what Mikel Arteta was envisaging when he brought Kai Havertz into the side. And it was similar to what happened at Brentford, right? Again, a cross in from the right-hand side, from the corner of the box, into an area around the far post that Kai Havertz can attack to a better level than Granit Xhaka could. Why? Because he's a forward thinker by nature. Granit Xhaka was a deep-lying midfield player that Mikel Arteta thought would be better utilised in a more advanced role. And credit to Granit Xhaka, he was able to adapt to that. But you can understand, surely, the theory behind why Kai Havertz being there might be uh, of more use uh, and might breed better results. And I asked Mikel Arteta as well, after the game, uh, about the Kai Havertz uh, situation. I asked him if he'd noticed the difference in the way that he was carrying himself and in the way that he was playing, having come off the bench to be the hero at the weekend and having broken the deadlock this evening. This is what uh, Mikel had to say to me in response. Mikel, just on Kai Havertz, he obviously came to the bench and was the hero last weekend um, and then he scored the, the goal that broke the deadlock today. Have you noticed the difference in him in terms of his confidence and, and how he's carrying himself maybe, having come into this good run of form? Yes, scoring goals, playing well, uh, participating in, in wins, those are positive attributes. Uh, you see the reception of his teammates, the crouching in his name and being with him in every positive action that he had. That's all good things that are going to help him to, to show why he is a tremendous player. He's a tremendous player, said Mikel Arteta. He's clearly got a lot of faith in this guy. He clearly believes that, you know, He's got way more to offer than what we've seen so far. And he clearly believes that he's on the right path, of course. Right. Let's take some of your questions then from the live chat uh, as well. I saw uh, a couple. Let me just uh, scroll um, back. Evan says, Harry, I was born in 07 and so I've only ever seen us win the FA Cup last season. I got emotional thinking about us winning the league. So for me, it has to be the Premier League in terms of uh, what you'd prefer to see us win. And I accept that. If I hadn't seen Arsenal win the Premier League, my answer would probably be the same. So I think that's fine. Um, but to me, it's the Champions League. It's the holy grail for me. 
Uh, Alistair says, uh, who would you like us to get in the round of 16? Um, personal, personally, I want who? Uh, did you correct yourself later on? No. <laughs> anyway, basically, who would I like us to get in the round of 16? You said you want us to get Gat. Who are Gat? <laughs> Watching them play with that highlight. Anyway, um, who would I like to see us get in the, the round of 16? I think I'd quite like, you know, if Copenhagen or, or Galatasaray get through the Manchester United group, I'd be happy with either of those. Um, I certainly don't fancy Napoli, um, Real Sociedad and Inter. You know, I'd rather Real Sociedad of the two, but that would require Inter to win the group there. Lazio is a tricky one, you know, uh, Group E, they're currently second, but again, it could be them or Atleti. I definitely don't want Atletico Madrid. That's one of the ones I'd want to avoid in the next round. Um, Dortmund or PSG or, you know, we couldn't face Newcastle if they got through. Milan could still go through as well. Ideally, I'd like to swerve them. RB Leipzig, I'd take. And Porto, I think I'd be quite not happy with, but content with um, in terms of the next round. But of course, we're going to have to wait and see how that uh, pans out. Um, uh, what else have we got? Do, 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 do. Um, Mark says, <laughs> always a relief when you ask Mikel a question and he doesn't stare you down and bite your head off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Tell me about, to be fair. Um, I would say 95% of the time when I ask Mikel a question, whether that be in the press conference or in the radio room, he's, he's really good. Um, but I am an Arsenal fan and I think, I'm not saying that we've had loads of conversations and that we're mates and that he knows who I support and whatever. But sometimes I think when you go in there, like after a big win, like after the City win, I went in there with the biggest smile on my face. And I think it was quite obvious to him that among the group of radio reporters that was there, I was the one that was happiest about the outcome because I was the one that was an Arsenal fan. And and I think that Mikel takes that into consideration and also the tone with which you phrase your questions when you're happy is different isn't it and I think he he gets that I think he senses that in the reporters and and I think the reason why he's mainly been okay there was one question I asked him um that he didn't really like um and I remember getting a, a slightly cold response not rude but slightly cold I can't think which one it was and I, I'll, maybe I'll dig it out for the next show but I always think because he can tell that I'm an Arsenal fan and because it's coming from the right place, um, that he's he's a bit more cool with that and, and a bit more willing to give me an answer that, that I'm kind of looking for. Uh, Louis says, um, hearing you speak to Arteta, I, I can't help but say I'm proud of you, Harry, how far you've come. Keep doing what you're doing best. Thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate uh, all the support um, along the way as well. Because without this podcast and without you guys, I'll be doing none of it. Um, I'd be doing none of it at all. Um, let's take, uh, <laughs> Mark says, uh, you asked the right questions, Harry. Tom said he once got cut down. Yeah, I think, I think everybody's been cut down by Mikel at some point or another. It's no reflection of, uh, of Tom. He's, he's brilliant at what he does. And, and Mikel Arteta is just, it can be a bit abrasive sometimes, particularly if the result has gone against him. Um, Louis says, uh, what's the aim for us in the UCL? For me, it's at least semi-finals. That might sound over-ambitious to some, but that's the minimum I want to see from this Arsenal side. I won't be satisfied unless we get to at least a semi-final. Um, you know, if we 
got Man City in the quarterfinal, that would be different. Um, and then I'd be able to at least accept if we went out that it was because, you know, we came up against the favourites to win it. But yeah, anything less than that, especially if we avoid City at that point, nah, um, it, it wouldn't be good enough for me. Uh, Goon Gang says, Harry, has anyone checked on Alan Shearer after that handball uh, was disallowed in the box? I know he was fuming. Yeah, there were a couple of incidents, weren't there, uh, that were, of course, um, quite similar to the one that we saw uh, in the Parc de Prance for which uh, Paris Saint-Germain were given a penalty. So you can understand the frustration that some of them uh, are feeling having seen other referees look at it and go, no, Stephanie Frappart in particular in the buying game did a great job of, of looking at the situation herself and going, no, no pen for me. Um, so uh, well done to it. And look, UEFA kind of admitted that they were wrong, really, didn't they? By taking the VAR responsible for sending uh, Simon Marciniak over to the screen in the first place. It took him off a game last night, which says it all. You know, it really, really does. It, it says a thousand words without actually saying them, um, is the way I would put it. Okay. Um, we got to touch quickly on uh, Manchester United, haven't we? And the, the awful uh, result that they got over in Turkey. And I say awful because they were 2-0 up. Um, I say awful because... They then made it 3-1, yet they capitulated and crumbled again, and it puts them in a really bad position in the group going into the final game, facing Bayern Munich. Bayern are through, yes, but it's still Bayern Munich, for God's sake. Um, and they're relying on a result going their way elsewhere. Andre Onana. I mean, the, the positives for United are that Bruno Fernandes scored a brilliant goal, that Garnacho looks incredible. Hate to say it because he looks like a right little... Um, I won't say anymore, um, but he's the type of player that if he plays for you, you love him. If if he doesn't, then you don't. And it's the same with Bruno Fernandes, right? But, you know, the, the fact that Andre Onana is still being defended by some is, is wild to me. Like, he's come in as this big money goalkeeper that was supposed to be the upgrade on David De Gea that Eric Ten Hag had been calling out for, and he's been the opposite. It's howler after howler, mistake after mistake. And the second one that he conceded yesterday was an absolute nightmare and ultimately proved the catalyst for Galatasaray's comeback. And if I were Eric Ten Hag, I know he won't say it publicly, but he'd be absolutely livid, absolutely livid. And the other point that I wanted to touch on just before we go is, is the news with regards to Manchester City. Now, according to Mike Keegan of the Daily Mail, Manchester City have had a date set, which is at the end of next year for their trial. And there is a hope that by the summer of 2025, this case uh, that the Premier League have against Manchester City, where they've charged them with 115 charges uh, of breaching the financial rules, is hopefully going to come to some sort of conclusion. I've said it all along. I don't know if they're guilty. I don't know if they're innocent. I'm not going to sit here and say they're guilty and I'm not going to sit here and say they're innocent. What I'm going to say is that this thing needs to be resolved and it needs to be resolved quick. And it's no coincidence to me that because of all the noise around the Everton situation, that it feels like some people have pulled their fingers out and have moved this thing along. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, we're going to we're going to have to wait and see uh, what the outcome of. It's a long old time to wait um, even still. But I appreciate that it's a legal process. These things take time and you have to get it right. OK, you you have to get the right outcome. You know, that's that's the way. It should be, and, and you know, everybody deserves a fair trial and all the rest of it. But, yeah, I just think this is a, a, a massive cloud hanging over the Premier League. And for me, they need to sort this sooner rather than later. 
Before I go, I'm going to take a couple more questions because there's a couple of good ones that have come in uh, through the live chat. Uh, let's take this one from Robbie, who says, it was interesting to see Odegaard playing more centrally and in the half spaces than he has this year. Do you think that was by design, Harry, or just an outcome of the way that Lons played us? Um, I think a bit of both. I think a bit of both. I think Martin Odegaard will have looked at the fact that so far this season and the coaching staff will have looked at the fact that so far this season, he's not been as effective. That's generally been because people have sussed us out. They've worked out the spaces in which he likes to operate. They've worked out how to shut off the supply to him. Um, they've worked out how to isolate him from Bukayo Saka, where the pair last season combined so brilliantly together. And Saka's talked about this as well in the last few days, about the need to find different solutions because people are always cottoning on to what you're doing and trying to find ways to shut you down. Um, so I think, you know, partly it's probably down to him and the coaching staff's instructions to try and find a different way. But I also think as a top elite player, you will adapt to what's in front of you. If you think there are spaces in certain areas, regardless of what your general instruction is, you will try to exploit those spaces, won't you? So I think it's a bit of both uh, on that. Goon Gang says, Man United offer 50 million for Ramsdale. Are you selling? Absolutely not. I wouldn't sell him to Man United for 100 million. Uh, I'd sell him to someone else for 20 million before I'd sell him to Man United for 100 million. We've done that in the past. We've sold to rivals. It's strengthened the, our rivals. And we did it at times where we didn't really have much choice. And Arsene Wenger was always incredibly frustrated by that. Um, but would I sell a good quality goalkeeper to them? Absolutely not. Let them go and overpay uh, for someone, but let it not be one of ours. Because if it does work out, I don't want that on our conscience. <laughs> But a great question, of course. Um, guys, if you haven't done so already, please, 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 please leave a like on the video. There's no reason, given that there's over a couple of hundred of you with me live right now, that we shouldn't have at least 100 likes on the board. It really, really does help. I cannot tell you how much it helps in terms of the algorithm, in terms of uh, pushing us up, um, in terms of suggested videos and all the rest of it. So like the video. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already as well. It really, really does help. And if you're listening on audio, well, then please do leave us a review. That is really, really important. We're going to be back tomorrow with another episode at a slightly earlier time, uh, and we're going to focus on that game against Wolves. We're going to have a good look at Gary O'Neill's side so far this season. We're going to figure out what it is we need to be wary of, how we can potentially hurt them. We'll talk about the fact that they've been wrong so many times this season. Will that play a part? on the minds of the officials going into this game, given that the latest robbery uh, taken out against Wolves uh, was, of course, just last week. Uh, so we'll get into all of that. We'll talk about our team, the lineup, um, who should play, who maybe shouldn't, uh, what Mikel Arteta should be uh, potentially looking at doing. Uh, we probably won't reflect on his press conference, depending on the timing of that. I'm not 100% sure if that's in the morning or in the afternoon. If it's in the morning, we'll miss it. But if there's any big points to pick up from that, we will pick them up later on in the day. Right, I'm going to leave you all to it for the rest of the day. Have a great one. Happy Thursday to each and every one of you. Go back and watch the highlights of Arsenal 6, Lons Neil. We're in the Champions League knockout stages upon our return to the competition. And we did it last night in style. Until next time, take care. 